Hello, everyone, and welcome back to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. We're just so glad to have a guest today, Bo Brabo, the author of a terrific book called From the Battlefield to the White House to the Boardroom, Leading Organizations. (laughs) Yeah, and so, and he has seen it all in all of those. So we're going to talk about leading organizations to value-based results. Bo, so happy to have you on the program. Uh, Thank you, Mark. It's, It's a pleasure, for sure. I love it. Welcome to IntelliKey Leadership Stories. Here's your host, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Kirsten, we're going to be talking about a whole different level of conscious leadership, value-based results. Is this the kind of thing that you and your clients have been talking about lately when it Uh, comes to IntelliKey and leadership? Uh, We're lit up by it. You know, I really do have two key subsets of groups right now. They have the young professionals that are coming up and they want to achieve high levels of success. They are, you know, the top performers, but they're unwilling to do it at the cost, the price that gets paid on a human soul. And secondly, I have a group of people who are transitioning out of the corporate world, and they want to start something new that they're really passionately lit up about. So yeah, this is exciting stuff. And that's what we want to talk to you about today, Bo. Bo Bravo. Mm-hmm. Well, that title alone describes your journey in the U.S. Army, rising up to the chief of HR operations in the White House Communications Agency, presidential communications officer for both Presidents Bush and Obama. So this is clearly not just a political uh, kind of appointment, very operations and value-based. But what, what are some of the different cultures that you saw in each one of those roles? I mean, Battlefield, White House, Boardroom, a lot of different corporate yeah. cultures there. Yeah, for sure. So the battlefield, you know, I often get asked, um, you know, we don't, you know, even, even at the corporate level, like, why do we want, why do we want like combative leadership and corporate America, right? Or leadership in combat or from the battlefield. And then, you know, I go to them and I say, look, if you're looking at combat in the battlefield, that's crisis. What's happening today in the world? A crisis. We are every single business, every single leader has faced the COVID pandemic crisis. Did you have crisis leadership background before you got, before this, you know, was on your head and on your business? No, maybe not. Probably not. And the 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 experiences from someone who had this as part of their life and i'm not just talking just about myself but but when you're when you're in those scenarios that are that are life and death potential and you have people under your charge and you're trying and you're trying to keep them safe as well and accomplish the mission that's crisis at its finest it's volatile uncertain complex ambiguous business leaders are facing that today uh, like never before so that's what battlefield did for me being in combat right? That's, that's the crisis leadership aspect of it. But all the rest of the time when you're not in combat, you're really homing those, those tried and true leadership principles, uh, very, very formally developed in that type of organization in the military. But I think they, they, hold, they hold true for anybody in business, anybody in any type of organization when you're talking about leading people. And by leading people, I often talk about it from, you know, you lead up, you lead down, you lead sideways. You don't have to have direct reports to, to be a leader. You can, you can lead your CEO, you can lead your peers and your subordinates all at the same time if you have the foundation on, on how to execute and how to do that. That's very good. And, uh, you know, and it's interesting you bring that up because I think a lot of people, 
would question the command and control military style of leadership and how it would apply, you know, in today's organization where we're not really looking for the top down, follow my orders. And I'm just curious how that does translate from your experience and what you've seen. Yeah not only in your own life, but, you know, with other similar leaders. Yeah, sure. So the top down, you know, start with crisis. A lot of times you're looking for that one person to really pull you through. Somebody's got to take charge and pull us through. So the command and control during crisis, for sure. The best leaders I ever worked with from the military, they empowered their junior leaders to take control, to be in charge, to actually run the show, run run their departments, run their divisions, whatever the case might be. And those were the best leaders. I think that is a very, very good attribute about some of our best corporate leaders. Uh, it's the ones who, who give the underlings, if you will, the authority and the power to run with, run with whatever program, initiative, new product, a service, whatever, run with it. Take this and let's, uh, let's do what we want to do with it and empower them, give them purpose. And I think those are the best military leaders that I ever served with that did just those things. They took care of their people. Uh, they cared about their families. Uh, they cared about everything about them, the whole person concept. That's what I would love to see get into, get into the corporate world is truly caring, having a very individual approach that you know who's on your team. And if you want to build high-performing teams, you've got to do that. You've got to know who's on your team. You've got to know all about them as much as you can, what impacts them, what's impacting them on the home front. Uh, because when you start seeing little changes in behaviors when they come to work, it, it could be something... It could be something at home that's impacting them. It could be something um, in the news that they saw that that's impacting them. Something outside, right? And then you take all that into an environment like the White House, uh, where you have to perform this mission regardless of which administration it is, because you're supporting the office of the president, not the Republican or not the Democrat. And and you have to come into that with with the attitude and in that you're a professional. You have all this leadership training. You're there to get a job done and, and, and do it to the absolute best of your ability. It's a zero defect environment. Mistakes just cannot happen. This is the president. Uh, and when they do, they could be catastrophic. They could be embarrassing to the White House. Those are some of those conditions that you're working under. And, and you're communicating that and you're sharing that with your team. And, and you're really giving them, I think it goes back to what Kirsten was talking earlier, even with our younger generations today, and they really want purpose. Like, why are we doing this? I think that applies even in those types of environments. You have to give your people purpose. Like why are we, you know, really understand why we're doing this and what it means, how much it means to, to our organization, to, in that scenario with the White House, how much this means to our country. Makes sense. Wow, that's incredibly powerful. And I, I love how you describe the importance of the mission. There is an importance. There is, there's no higher purpose than mm-hmm. in the United States and the president of the United States. And right. because that's global security, right? That's global. Mm-hmm. And one thing I want to say, one, thank you for your service. Thank you. Because that we do rely on you for that. So thank you. Because I, appreciate I that. haven't served, but I admire those who do. Um, the other thing, you know, this is kind of, I'm going to take 10 steps back, but sure. sometimes the most unassuming person in an organization is the one that leads the crisis, right? Like you find out what a person's made of in Mm -hmm. the crisis, right? The ones that you think are going to hold it together, they have the meltdowns. I see that. Mark and I were talking about leadership in the battlefield the other day. And what I really got is on a battlefield, you have to, I don't know, so this is a question. I imagine that you're relying on each other 
at that moment in time that your entire life and lives of everyone else around yeah. you depends on how you show up and you muster something inside you you didn't know you had. Yeah, that's perfect. That is absolutely perfectly said. And it, it really leads to the analogy that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, we have our, we have our Department of Defense and, you know, soldiers are there to protect the country. Um, that's we're, we're fighting to serve and protect our, protect our ways, our, our republic and so forth. But when you get into those moments, like you're alluding to, you're fighting for your brother or sister left or right of you. That is your lifeline right there. And it means so much. And yeah, you, you want everybody to come every single day uh, without fail with their beyond their A game uh, because you, you just depend on them. You can't do it. There's no such thing as you know, one, person, one person doing it. It's a team and you have, to, you have to function in that way. And if you think about like what you said earlier about who rises to the occasion in crisis, and it could be just about anybody in your organization. Good analogy for that that I talk to people about is think about uh, Medal of Honor recipients. Who are they? Right, those are the bravest of the brave that rose to an occasion, took charge, and and just were heroic. Uh, oftentimes, you know, it's probably someone that was just, oh my gosh, this person, look what this person did. Right, you may not have expected it. It wasn't the it wasn't the general. Potentially, it's a sergeant. It's a a young man or woman that just rose to the top and said, "I I have to take care of my people," and we're in a tough spot, and I'm doing something about it. Mm-hmm. You know, Bo. The, you know, one of the things that you've moved into is you know some HR strategy and consulting with the company. Yeah. And I'm very curious, based on some of the qualities we've just been describing, shifting our thought a little bit to hiring more veterans mm-hmm. and really, you know, paying off this, yeah, thank you for your service, but also let's continue that service and continue mm-hmm. our service to you in the corporate environment. Where do you see the state of the state in just corporate hiring of veterans overall? Yeah, I've seen as a veteran, I see a lot of I see a lot of marketing. I see a lot of programs out there designed to help help veterans uh, and have hiring initiatives to help veterans. I think the fact I think what's undervalued is the depending upon how long the person served. What's undervalued in corporate America is the the formal leadership development that these individuals receive, mm-hmm. and over a period of time, and all of them whether you're Army, Marine Corps, Navy, whichever, you're going through that leadership chain, that development, you're all getting the same training, you're getting the same development, you're being tested. So this is a, this is a difference between corporate America and, and a military environment. You know, if, if I'm, I'm taken out of my organization and I go to this course, this formal leadership development training course for say a couple months, well in that, in that two months, that's my entire focus, right? I'm, I'm at this course, it's full time, I'm with, a hundred other people, and we're all going through this course. Well, during the course, you get tested on what you're learning in as real mock environments as you can, but in, in real type of scenarios. And then all 100 of you are sent back to your organizations when the two months is over and you've got all this new training. And they expect you to come back and employ that new training that you've learned because others have been there before you and there's going to be more going behind you. And I think we down, those are the intangibles that I think get downplayed in corporate America. They're not grabbed onto tight enough that there's this community of people that have been through all of this training that, number one, you didn't have to pay for. The government covered that uh, in, their, in their military training, that they have this plethora of knowledge and ability 
that doesn't get taken advantage of in a grand in a in a bigger way than it could be. I'm not saying the art, the military is producing all great leaders, but I I do believe they're producing producing good leaders with foundational aspects. They know what values are. They know how to employ them. They know how to influence their teams to accomplish whatever the goals are that they need to accomplish. Those are the intangibles that I think every company needs. You make a good point. I mean, in many companies, a lot of individuals are taking, you know, the one week course or the management course, but they're not really sharing or assimilating that through the whole organization, are they? No, exactly. That's what we do. And there's a lot of reasons for that, that, you know, depending on the size of the company and what kind of budget you have, it costs time, money. To, to do that on a, on a team effort or a bigger scale. So yeah, you are depending upon the individuals to take it upon themselves to seek out that professional development. And, and hopefully they bring some of that back and, and use it. But, but you just never know what kind of impact it's going to have. So I love this conversation about professional development in the workplace, mm-hmm. having been in the C-suite for a very long time. It was almost laughed upon. You talk about bringing in consultants or people who really know how to cultivate, develop, and prepare leaders, right? And yeah. We talk about succession plans and crisis planning, but very rarely do you see a really cohesive one that people can execute against because execution is the key word, right? You can have a written document, but do people really embrace it? Right. How do you find in this position of working with, you know, the, the human assets of the company, are you finding a resistance to this? I mean, we all joke, what are we going to go like fall back onto another employee one more time and see if they'll catch us, yeah. <laughs> right? So, and I hate to say that, but I think we've I'm all been ca- through that. Survival like, camp retreat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That speaks to the culture of today's corporate environment. Mm-hmm. I, think that, I think that is still a challenge. I think it's probably the toughest, one of the toughest challenges to try and overcome. And I don't necessarily have all the answers to it or it wouldn't be a challenge anymore. We would have solved it. I think it's just the continual, the continual process of trying to educate uh, CEOs and C-suite individuals uh, that there's plenty of studies on it that when you really look at, when you really look at and take charge of values-based, values-based leadership in the way that you're emulating or you're pushing that from the top to the bottom, starting with the CEO at the top of the company, and that it actually means something. And one of the things I do, Kirsten, to, to help people bring that to light when you're talking about this, just, it's not just enough to say, these are our core values. We're going to put them up on the website. We're going to put mm-hmm. them on the wall and so forth. I like to help people, you know, when you think about the execution and the how, really dive into, you know, what is a value? Uh, define it. What are all the behaviors? Behaviors are the most important thing. That's how people show up to work every day. And what do they do? What are the behaviors associated with associated with the values that you grab onto in your company? And then when you have those behaviors that you're looking for, then you're looking for HR leadership to say, okay, these are the type of people that we're looking for. And we're looking at, you know, job descriptions by position, by role, that would use those types of words, those types of action words that say, this is, this is what we're looking for. So if you're talking about top talent or finding the right people, are they going to be a cultural fit? You want to know how they behave. I don't buy into the, you know, one size interview questions fits all, right? It's got to be tailored. So when you're, when you have new candidates coming in and you're interviewing them, yes, you can see what skills they have on paper, all the technical skills, but how do you get into those intangibles based upon behaviors and and are they going to fit with your core values? Like, do they embody your core values? So you find out ways to ask them questions that would elicit answers 
associated with their behaviors. You're not having to say, hey, do you, do you agree that integrity is a good value? Mm-hmm. No, but if integrity yeah, is one beliefs. of your core values, yeah. right? Not beliefs, right? Ask a question that would, that would elicit an answer that shows they have integrity and so forth. That takes time. That takes work. It's effort. But there's plenty of case studies that shows the companies that can actually do that take the time with the leadership at the top promoting that and doing those things. They have better sales. They have better profit margins. They do better than their competition. Yeah. So, and, it, and I agree. It gets aggravating when you're talking to people that, that just don't see it, right? Or they think it's yeah. just one more, one more gimmick you may be trying to sell them on, you know, to hire you for their service, for, for your services. Yeah. Uh, but it, it definitely is is true. Well, our guest is Bo Brabo, who's the author of From the Battlefield to the White House to the Boardroom, Leading Organizations to Value-Based Results. And Bo, I want to underscore this White House experience for a little yeah. bit and get you to highlight that for a moment. Yeah. You were talking about clearly as a purpose-driven organization. You right. know, let, let's get behind, uh, or, you know, go behind the dramas of you know, cable news or West Wing or these other, you know, shows. Yeah. And let's talk about the inner workings of mm-hmm. the operation. And that's what you were involved in. And right. obviously, like you said, it crosses the political spectrum. You worked in both the Bush and the Obama White Houses. What is it about the operations of the White House that we should understand, where people truly are purpose-driven at the democracy level, not yeah. the political level? Right. So the, the White House, it's a machine. There, there is a machine that makes that, that makes that place run. And that machine, and this is all, it's just a thing people don't know to look for, but you can Google it. You can look it up. It's there. The information's there. Um, it's just something, if you don't know what to look for, you won't find it, right? So the White House has operationally, it's called the White House Military Office. And under that, the one thing that everybody knows about is Air Force One, right? Because that's what you see on TV, the plane flying in. So that's an Air Force unit. Yeah, so you have the the presidential airlift group and you've got Camp David run by the Navy and you got White House mess. That's the Navy and you have White House transportation. These are all military units fall under the operational control of the White House military office. And you have White House communications where I was from or what that I was part of. And you're leading, we're leading all the communication pieces um, for the president, vice president, first lady, the secret service. So when the president goes anywhere, anywhere in the world, he and his staff secret service, they can all talk just as if they were sitting in the room in the White House. That's a big challenge, a big mission to pull that off um, every single time. The, every president seems to travel a little bit more than the president before them. So it, the mission just keeps growing and growing and growing and providing these, providing these capabilities. To do that, it's, you absolutely cannot be part of the political spectrum. You have to be part of the machine, uh, knowing that you're supporting the president in, in his three roles, right? Commander-in-Chief, head of state and chief executive officer. Those are three very distinctive roles that that person that holds that office has. And from a military perspective, I mean, that's, that's my highest ranking officer, right? That's the commander in chief. That is, that is the purpose, real purpose, I think, of us being there and supporting that because that's the person in charge of the, of the armed forces. Uh, and then you have the office of administration that's on the ground. These are people that don't, don't change government employees. You, you just got to be, it's having values. It's having your duty, your sense of duty to your nation that that's what you're supporting. And as a whole, you, you look beyond the, the politics. Everybody has them. Everybody has an opinion. That's great. But when you go to work, you're there to, you're there to work and do your job. And it just happens to be 
that you're supporting, directly supporting the White House itself. Yeah, lots of stories around that. Um, lots <laughs> I'm and sure. Lots of I can only imagine. Wait, do we, can we do another podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah, take two. You can do yeah. take two. Yeah, and all of a sudden I felt myself uh, channeling Kirsten by saying, and someday she will have that all under her command. Um, yeah. But yeah. I'm sure the stories, I mean, you know, everything between technical glitches to get me this prime minister on the phone right now because we have a crisis. All of the above, sure. And then when we say, um, you know, we often ask, well, what is presidential, you know, what is presidential quality? Sometimes we chuckle because we don't really know what presidential quality is, but we can sure as heck tell you what it's not. Uh, think about a teleprompter coming on, uh, it sits on a stand and it's at angled at a 45 degree angle towards the podium. And the piece of glass is on an angle as well, held up by a little nut and bolt, um, you know, and two felt pads on each side so it doesn't scratch the glass. And that's the only thing holding it there. Yeah, there have been instances where during the middle of a president's speech, that glass has fallen and hits the floor. Seems funny. People will laugh. The crowd kind of, yeah. you know, the reporters laugh when it happens. It's not funny. No, and is, somebody's going to pay. No, somebody's going to pay for that bolt. Somebody's going to pay for the bolt. Somebody's, Somebody's got a trip to the. It's going to be a long afternoon. It's going to be a long, long, long afternoon, right? Or, you know, another good one. And I, gosh, I felt so sorry for the. um, I was on a trip in Utah. This was under President Bush, and he was doing some RNC fundraisers with a couple, multiple locations. One of them was Mitt Romney's house, big log cabin in Park City. That was my event site. But then the president was staying overnight, and we were at the ski lodge. So our head officer in charge. Uh, he had he had coded all of the phones, uh, the secure phones inside the president's suite, and accidentally, you know, it's the, you know, the la- the fo- he had the different phone numbers. So you got the first lady's phone number, the daughter's phone numbers, key people, like eight different pre-programmed numbers in there. So if the president needed to call somebody, he could just roll over in his bed, pick up the phone, hit the speed dial, and you know he's got secure connection to that to that family member or uh, chief of staff, whatever. And the president rolled over, hit the hit the button, and he thought he was calling his personal secretary back in the West Wing. And it went to some lady who answered the phone somewhere. Nice. And it was like one digit when he's coding that, it was like one digit off. Easy mistake. Wow. Right? You know, instead of it, yeah, your finger accidentally hits the eight instead of the nine. Right. And um, this, this is the zero defect environment I talked about earlier. Because of who these people are, you don't call them to say, hey, I just want to make sure I got your phone number right. Yeah. Right. That's not happening. That's not protocol. So you have to be so incredibly meticulous every single thing that you do. But after that happened, that was, that was not a fun ordeal for the officer leading, leading that trip. No, W um, doesn't say, sorry, I got yeah. the wrong number. No, and, yeah. and what happens is, so the president makes a comment to one of his aides. He doesn't get mad, it happened. But then that, that just trickles down, right? It trickles down into the command, then it goes all the way. And before you know it, it's an issue. People who can lead in those types of environments, those are special people because everything is on the line all the time. Well, and it sounds like it's invisible until that happens, which is yes. not like, you know, you don't get the kudos. Hey, nice job programming all the codes. You know, right. But, right. you know, it's only right. when, yeah. And I think I was watching a documentary of Obama's official photographer, and it was sort of like, you know, my job is to be invisible. I have to capture the day mm-hmm. in the life every day, you know, yeah. but I have to also be invisible. Yes. Uh, and I'm curious about your role 
in that communications. It's like, I, yeah. I shouldn't be seeing any of that. You shouldn't be seeing any of it. You know, an example, when the plane pulls up to the runway, that there's a big long cable that gets hooked into the front of the plane. That's a communications cable. So one of our team members, as soon as the plane stopped, he's there, he runs out, plugs the cable. And then, so, so that you're not seeing, so here's the tactic. That person has to go stand behind the front wheel and the big mechanism, <laughs> right? Because literally, Fascinating. yeah, within moments, the news is there and there are certain, you just don't want to be caught. You're not, on you're not on camera. Yeah. You're not on camera. Yeah. <laughs> I got caught on camera one time in Utah at the airport and I was doing limo checks. So I was checking all the equipment in the president's limo. And from there, walking back to where my team was set up somewhere in the middle in there, cameras caught me and I was on the news. And of course, then you get, that wasn't a bad thing, uh, but you definitely get razzed, razzed by your team. <laughs> but overall, no, you're backstage, you're out, you're just taking care of things. You're out of the limelight. You're not violating the protocols of the White House whatsoever. You yeah. know, it's fascinating because if you think about that, you put, putting that, that back into corporate, mm -hmm. if that were a culture where you don't need the limelight, you don't need the spotlight, you do your job, you do it well, it's not yeah. about the ego, it's about everybody performing at their maximum output, their That's highest right. potential, right? That would be just such a different culture. It's all yeah. that jockeying and that ego and who's in the spotlight and who's not. That really takes companies down. Yeah. I, just, I love the idea of that being in a culture. Yeah. If you can traverse that and get that into your company and it's like a, it's like a servant leadership type of thing where you're, you're not focused on yourself whatsoever. It's on everything, everything and everyone else. It's, it would be quite impactful. You know, it's the leader that takes the heat, gives credit, and, and takes the heat when it's time to, to take the heat, but not seeking the limelight whatsoever. But know? it's interesting, you, it contrasts though, the commander in chief to the average you know, CEO of a Fortune 100 company, who we might know as mm -hmm. a, you know, a celebrity uh, CEO, we may not. But how, how many people would say, I'm doing this to make him or her look good and to be invisible to what Kirsten was saying? So many of yeah. us are looking for the next rung up the ladder rather than serving. No, you're, you're absolutely right. I had that aha. It was an aha type of moment because I knew that. I felt that what you just said, Mark, to be truth. And I was sitting at a conference a couple of years ago in 2018, and I had presented like three workshops at this conference. And I sat in a colleague's workshop when I had a break and she, and she had some studies that she put up there. And it was my aha moment. And they were Harvard studies about CEOs. And you're constantly going up the rung and, and to make it to that position. And it was a super high percentage, like 98% were considered extroverts. So very, very good at, at talking and putting themselves out there and super confident in themselves. Uh, but then when they get there, their level of competency is not matched by their level of confidence. Oh, so well said. Yeah. That was an aha moment for me. And like, why don't more of these CEOs grab onto values-based leadership, grab onto the leadership, found the foundational things of putting all their people first and serving their company versus putting themselves out front to get to the top of the company. It, it really was. I was like, wow, I think maybe that's it. Mm -hmm. Like that's, it's confidence versus competence. It was, yeah, it was so I, interesting. It was, I don't yeah. often interject my own little personal family stories in our program, but I couldn't <laughs> help when you were saying that, that my 12-year-old granddaughter says, you know, I really need to be more confident. I, I want to take public speaking. 
And mm-hmm. I thought to myself, just what you said, is there a, such a course called public listening? You know, yeah. it's like <laughs> public empathy to be that good that people would recognize you for being a great listener rather than a yeah. great speaker. And it's, it's not an appreciated skill. No, it, it is not. You know, we had, a, we had a person on our podcast a couple of weeks ago, her episode came out, Dr. Uh, Brody Reardon, and she wrote a book on feedback, feedback fundamentals, evidence-based best practices. And she said something in that, in that episode, Mark and Kirsten, that was very enlightening. And, and even talking about meetings, if you really know how to listen, like when you get this, when you have the skill of listening and somebody tells you something, oftentimes you won't have a response. Because you're contemplating and you're thinking about, if you're truly listened, you're thinking about what they had to say. So you may not have an answer. You may not immediately have a thought on what they just said because you need to, you need to think about it. So she gives us, I forget exactly uh, the quote, but something about, I'm thinking about what you said. I need to get back to you. I really, really heard what you said. And I want to be able to give you a really good response. I thought it was great. Like, if you could really listen how much more difficult it would actually be to provide an immediate response to somebody, mm-hmm. so potentially, true. depending upon the depth of the issue. Yeah. Well, Bo, this has been a terrific conversation. I want to be sure we land on something and focus a yeah. bit on this values-based results. And the word values, you know, we call it IntelliKey. Other people call it conscious leadership, purpose-driven. Back in our military discussion, it's the mission. What is it that, as leaders we can find in a higher purpose? What should we be looking to elevate the values rather than just the results that, you know, we're getting those results leading with values? See, I'm, I'm listening. That's a great question. Uh, <laughs> um, we'll, we'll edit out the pause. Yeah, no, for sure. <laughs> you know, when, you, when it comes right down to it, we spend, as human beings, we spend so much time in the workplace. It's a huge portion of our life. And if we just came to work every day and, and thinking that the way that we behave, because I think values are all about your behaviors. So even, even if it's you know, your CEOs that listening to this and how you behave every day, number one, people are watching you, they're paying attention to you, they're listening to you. And just having the realization and in a way to give back beyond the results is that you have this large, potentially large group of people in your company whether it's 20 people or it's 20,000 people that are just that they're human beings and they have lives and they have their own sets of behaviors and values and to honor that and to think about that and to try and align all that within your organization. I think it really pays homage to people and to who they are as individuals. And you're trying to bring all that together in, in a big group type of way. And then the results, the results are just the outcomes that you get from all of that. Thank you. This is truly one of my favorite conversations. You know, I have a commitment to cultivating leaders. So it's so refreshing for me to have these beautiful conversations because that signals hope, Mm -hmm. right? That signals hope that we don't have to keep doing it the way it's been done. This is why we need you. So thank you. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it very much. Well, Bo, been a terrific conversation. And I know people are going to want to connect with you and read more. Where can we find you? Yeah, LinkedIn is a great place. And website is www.robertbrabo.com. Bo is a nickname, but I've gone by it my whole life. So if people call me Robert, I wouldn't answer. But 
the, the website is robertbravo.com. You can find everything there. You can find the podcast, the book, email, phone numbers, all that good stuff is all there on the website. I'm sure we're going to be connecting with you and we would really love another conversation down the road. So I'm sure we'll be yeah, talking be again. Fantastic. Thanks, Mark. Our guest has been Bo Brabo. He's the author of From the Battlefield to the White House to the Boardroom, Leading Organizations to Value-Based Results. He's been in corporate, in HR, and consulting, but his job was in the U.S. Army as Chief of HR Operations with the White House Communications Agency and the Presidential Communications Officer, both Presidents Bush and Obama. Thank you. And to our listeners, we'll talk to you next time on IntelliKey Leadership Stories, where Kirsten and I will be talking with another leader, another expert in leadership about how they're seeking their soul's purpose and their higher vision in both their business and in their life. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories with your hosts, Kirsten Gouldy and Mark Stenson. Connect with us on LinkedIn or visit our websites, www.pureintellikey.com and www.mark-stenson.com. Thanks for listening to IntelliKey Leadership Stories.